one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is the last laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and on today's bonus episode, it's the man with the best laugh in comedy, Ron Funches. Ron was our third guest on this podcast all the way back in April of last year. If you haven't listened to that episode, I highly recommend going back and checking it out. I had so much fun talking to Ron then that I asked him to come back on the show this week to talk about two very exciting projects he has coming up. First up is his new game show for Quibi called Nice One that is kind of like At Midnight meets Roast Battle with an entirely positive Ron Funches spin. Then, on September 5th, Ron is performing a live stream stand-up special called Awakening that features all new material that he's been developing since his last special, Giggle Fit, premiered on Comedy Central last year. In this episode, we get into all of that, plus his thoughts on Joe Rogan, Dave Chappelle, Louis C.K., and more. We had a great talk that I think you're going to really enjoy, so let's get to it. Here's me with Ron Funches. How's it going, man? Oh, I'm good. Good. Oh, I'm excellent, actually. I feel really good today. I want to let you know I like you so much. You're the only interview I've done in the last two days where I'm not playing video games at the same time. <laughs> Is that true? Does that, does that include Joe Rogan? Well, I guess no. You're right. I lied. <laughs> <laughs> you're good, man. You were one of our very first guests on this podcast like over a year ago, and you've been so supportive ever since, so I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, I still listen to, you know, depending on the guest, I still listen yeah, to yeah. it. I, like I hear it. you. I like your interview style. Oh, thanks, man. So what's going on? How's your how's your quarantine life been over these last five months or so? Mm, you know, up and down. You started off resisting everything and thinking like, you know, oh, by June, this will be over. Everything will be fine. And then that came around and then there was like that new extended order. And that kind of knocked the wind out of my sails for a while. I was depressed for a little bit, overeating for a little bit. But then kind of buckled back down, decided to, you know, do my own little live stream show, and which made me go practice and do other shows. And I ended up in this set with me and Maria Bamford and I just watched her perform and it just looked like she had never taken a day off you know like since the moment this has started she's just like this is what i do and this is who we are and, and just seeing the audience and the audience there was like a lot of people who i'd seen from shows on the road in denver or seattle and they were all in this little zoom room and kind of just hit me then i'm like oh i'm being very selfish you know i just want comedy to be perfect for me i want the cheers i want the laughter i want the feedback in my face it took me seeing maria to be like oh you know like sometimes this job is providing a service and it's making other people feel better it's not about making me feel better you know since then that's opened my eyes to thing and i've been more productive and and feeling better since then it does seem like those zoom shows can be super hard though when you're you know not 
necessarily hearing laughs or there's a delay or so what was that like for you or somebody's flushing a toilet or <laughs> you know it's kind of takes me back to open micing and stuff where you're just like you're, you're competing with a lot of things for people's attention the the way comedy rooms or the good ones at least were, were put together is perfect because you know everything around you is dark everything there's nothing to put your attention on but the guy who's lit up on stage with the microphone but when you're doing these zoom shows they're in their houses some Sometimes they're in their cars, you know, they have a lot of other things they can pay attention to. So you just kind of, again, you learn to lower my ego and not be like, well, why are you guys, well, you know, I'm amazing. Why aren't you, you know, I just had to be like, you know, just there's a lot of things going on and I just got to stay focused, stay in them, but not deny what's going on. You know, if someone's flush as a toilet, I certainly be like, hey, what's going on? <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel like you had to adjust your, your style or even the types of jokes you were doing at all for those shows? Um, at first, yeah, for sure. And, and that was my main concern about wanting to do it. It was that I feel like, you know, you're sitting down, you're not expecting laughs. So sometimes it becomes more of this rant, you know, and you're just, you just decide to just barrel through because you don't expect laughs. So I just kind of had to fight through that and learn to like, kind of do the same technique that I would do in open mics, especially after I got experience. You know, if I was doing these open mics and people weren't responding, I would just go, you know what? I'm going to just hold for the amount of laughter that I'm used to. Let's <laughs> yeah. see what happens. Yeah. And, and, you know, and for a while they would be think it's weird or whatever, but they would get on board, you know. And, and so I kind of do that now with the Zoom shows where I like, I go, well, here's the punchline. I'm going to wait. People normally laugh. If you don't, it's fine. But one of the best lessons I've learned in the last few years is just get comfortable with the silence. You know, don't let it change my rhythm. Yeah. So I know you're doing the live stream show that you're, you have coming up on YouTube a little differently. So how will that work? How are you making that happen? Oh, I'm really excited about it. I basically, I saw Fortune Feimster put on this show that she did for her birthday and it looked really fun and the production of values looked really great. And um, I was like, whoa, this is like different from the Zoom shows I've been doing, you know? And, and so I reached out to her and found out that she was doing it through Chris Titus. And um, so I just talked to him because we've been friends for a little bit now and just told him that I wanted to put on my own show. And we just kind of came up with a little concept of just basically bringing my road show that we, since we can't travel on the road, I have my feature, my opener and everybody, and we're going to do that show into your house, you know? And it, I think it's really, it'll be the best of both worlds because there'll be a live audience of like 10 people in masks and in socially distance and still being able to get it out to a big group of people, but still feel that immediate reaction. And I, I performed for much less than 10 people before. So <laughs> I feel like it's probably going to be my biggest show of the year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and is it mostly material that you were working on before all of this when you were out touring or is it a lot of new stuff or how, how are you looking at it? It's a killer instinct combo. It's a combo. <laughs> You know, there's bits of things that w still work that I was working on before, but there's some of them that obviously do not. You know, it's kind of weird to be like, I love traveling. Let me tell you about all the traveling <laughs> I've been doing, you know. So I had to dump that type of stuff. But some of it still matched up. And then there have been a lot of things to talk about from everything going on in the world, you know. So it's going to be a mix. It's going to be a mix. And, you know, but it'll be all new from the stuff that was on Giggle Fit, you know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. That was your last special on uh, Comedy Central. It's called Awakening. So what is the meaning behind that title? Uh, 
the meaning behind the title is just that I think a lot of people are looking about what's going on in the world as a negative, as a catastrophe, as a Armageddon. And I kind of look at it as an awakening. I see there's always been these negative things going on. There's always been this deception, this, these type of ill things in the world. But it seems like more and more people are awake to it and more and more people are aware of it and people are, are you know, just waking up, and I, but I like to use that prefer, instead of like. There's a difference between being awake and being woke. You know, you know, people can be woke and sleep as fuck. You know, they don't know. <laughs> you, they just. It's the same people who just get but hear buzzwords or things like, oh, well, you can't say that. You shouldn't have said that because you put that word in there. You know, and that's not woke to me. That's not being being a. I mean, that is woke. That's not being awake. Being awake is being a. a yourself being your person knowing that you're filled full of faults but seeing what's going on in the world and being like you know we don't stand for this anymore and that's kind of like that's what i see what's going on in the world and that's why i named it that yeah i think a lot of people who thought they were woke maybe realized they weren't as woke as they thought they were uh, over these past couple months yeah, I mean, it's just a bad position to put yourself in to ever be like, uh, you know, because you see it online all the time. People outwoken themselves all the time. It's so crazy. I remember with the Ellen things come out. I saw one of my friends tweet about the Ellen thing and, and be like, like, well, I always was saying that Ellen was bad. And then and then someone else goes, but and then someone else right below them. Well, well, I remember when you tweeted this about transsexuals. And it's just like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't win. No, you can't. You can't. People mad at me for going on Joe Rogan, you know? And I don't I don't understand that one bit. Like if you don't like the man, that's fine. If you don't I don't agree with everything he says. I go on there and I tell him I don't agree with what you say. But to not talk to him, to not go on the literally the biggest show in the world right now makes no sense to me. That doesn't make sense to, you know, to get your perspective on his show is important. That's what I felt. But then I had people um, I can't be like, oh, no, no, you let us down. And I just had to let him know. Hey, look, I don't work for you. I don't work for anybody. If you don't want to talk to someone because you don't agree with what they say, that's your opinion. I don't work that way. And above all, never tell me what the fuck to do. <laughs> it will always go wrong for you. Even if you're right, if you come at me as a grown man telling me what to do, I will just say you just, I don't want you as a fan anymore. Get the fuck gone. So speaking of that, there was something I wanted to ask you about that happened, I think, in the very first days um, after George Floyd was killed. Um, I saw you post on Instagram a comment from a fan who was saying, basically calling you out for not speaking out about it yet very early on. So can you kind of explain what happened and why you decided to repost that and, and put that out there? Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, you know, basically, we all remember what happened with George Floyd and, and all the things that happened there. Uh, but me, personally, that week, I had lost a friend to suicide. And so I was dealing with, with that at home and just kind of dealing with that privately and not talking to anyone about it. And dealing with a lot of them, you know, when someone commits suicide and, and you sit in front of yours, there's a lot of emotions that's going on. Oh, what what could I have done? Should I Could I have been a better friend? Oh, we weren't, ta we weren't on the best terms before he died, you know. And 
he killed himself in the very house that I first moved into when I lived in Los Angeles. And I remember the feeling of fear and that I would never make it and that I never was like, I should kill myself. But I remember feeling the desperation. And so I was dealing with a lot of stuff mentally at that time. And I would see this guy DMing me this and I would just ignore it. And then he just kept coming at me and then finally being like, look, I got to unfollow you. You're not talking about this. You're part of the Hollywood elite and you just want to protect your money. And I was just like, bro, like, you don't you don't know me. I don't know anyone in Hollywood. First of all, I <laughs> hang out with my fucking wife and my son. That's where I'm at. But mostly it was just like, I don't owe you anything. I don't owe you my grief. I don't owe you my anger. I don't have to show, I can choose what I show people. And if I don't want to show you how I feel about a subject at that time, that's my fucking decision. And so I was angry at that time, but then I thought about it more. And I was like, oh, this guy isn't mad at me. His anger is, he's scared. He's scared. He's looking for a leader. He's looking for someone to say the things that he doesn't even know how to say. And I think at that point, it made it such a bigger issue to me that like our leaders have let us down so much. Our public servants have let us down so much that we turn to people like comedians and actors and stuff and then expect them to lead us when we're just as fucked up and weird and if not, in most cases, weirder than the next. And I think I get in a small dose, but I think that's what Joe Rogan gets in a major dose because he goes out and speaks his mind about things and people assume he's a leader. But I just go like, I've known this guy for fucking almost 10 years now. It's just dumbass Joe Rogan. Who, who gives a shit? <laughs> you never thought he was going to get as powerful as he has become, I would say. I would think so. And that just comes from him being consistent and him voicing what he believes. And I believe as an American, that's like exactly what we're supposed to do. And that's why I look up to Joe and, and oh my God, that deal he got where he still owns all <laughs> yeah. of his stuff. Insane. I texted him and I was like, bro, that is inspirational. You know, I'm out here. Yeah, the Spotify deal. Fighting non-exclusive deals all day <laughs> long. Yeah. <laughs> so the comments that you got reminded me a little bit of what Dave Chappelle talked about in his 846 special with where Don Lemon from CNN was criticizing celebrities for not speaking out. And Dave's thing was basically like, this is not the moment for celebrities to speak out. This is, you know, for, for people to speak out, even though then he went on to talk about it as well. I'm curious what you thought of that special, because it is that's sort of the most prominent so far, you know, social distance comedy event. And now he's been doing, you know, more of these shows and there's a lot of comedians coming out there with him and, and doing that. And so what did that special that he did mean to you? And, and what do you think of what he has going on there? I mean, I, I love it. It's always beautiful to see our, our leaders in comedy and our, you know, el I, I'm sure he wouldn't like hearing it, but our elder statesmen in comedy continue to show like new ways of doing things and how we might be to do comedy through these type of social distance events because I hadn't seen that before, you know, and I, I love seeing that stuff. I, I like the special. I like how raw it was and how it hit on certain things. Overall, I think the same thing happens with him and Joe and everything where people start taking their word as gospel, you know, like, like their ultimate and I love Dave Chappelle and there's things I completely disagree with with Dave Chappelle and, and that's fine. It doesn't mean I don't love his work. I Opening for him at Montreal is still one of the highlights of my entire life and, and I love that. He's one of my biggest inspirations and I love what he's doing and then there's times where I'm just like, why do you talk so much about transsexuals while you also dress like you just came from working as a drag queen? So <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. I, I was wondering if you noticed there's some pictures that went up the last few days when I was, we're talking now of uh, Louis C.K. out there on the shows with Dave Chappelle and Sarah Silverman there and Michelle Wolf. And I know you had some pretty harsh things to say about Louis the last time we talked. So I was curious what you thought about him kind of joining that that crew. I mean, I don't love it. I mean, I don't want to speak for anyone, but it looked like a couple people in that picture looked pretty uncomfortable. So <laughs> there was that as well. But, you know, Dave is Dave, and that's his friend, and I don't judge people off of, especially people who I don't know and I've not met, off of what they consider, that what they want their friendships to be. Would I do that? Absolutely fucking not. But I'm not going to go, well, you, ah, ah, tear down Dave Chappelle because he wants to be friends with a guy who he's been friends with forever. No, I I wouldn't be, but, you know, to each their own. I'm really curious to see what comes out of that because I've heard some some rumors that there might be a sort of Netflix thing going on where they're going to release a bunch of that stuff. So I think that'll be pretty interesting if it does. I could see that, yeah. And that would also be the first time if they if that does happen and Louis is involved, it would be a pretty big deal, I think, for him to be on a streaming service, which hasn't happened in quite a while. Yeah, I don't think they'd have a problem with it. I don't know if they're known for having high moral fiber, but, you know. <laughs> Netflix? Th- any place. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. It'll be interesting. When the money comes to it, the moral fiber tends to go away. You know, I want to ask you a question, because I think if I answer it, I'll get in trouble. But I want to ask you. We'll see if I'll answer it. Do you make of anything that kind of like the last two or three men that these companies have seriously gotten behind and put a lot of specials behind multiple four, three, four, five, six specials have all kind of been predators? And it just seems weird to me because it feels like if I was going to get that deep into business with people, I'd research them and I know a lot about them. And I think a lot of people focus on the comedy and they don't focus on these executives. Who are we talking about? I don't know. Well, the people who, you know, I mean, the people who have gotten the really big Netflix deals are like Chappelle and Chris Rock and people like that. But I don't I don't think that's who you're talking about. Lower than that. I'm more, I mean, no, I'm more talking about like Louis and Chris. Yeah, I mean, Louis hasn't gotten much coming his way too recently. It'll be interesting to see if he ends up back on it. But yeah, I mean, you'd think that with Chris D'Elia, they would have they would have looked into it more or that they would have been more concerned about it before giving him that. But then, you know, at the same time, they did take something away. So it's true. They, they should get some credit for that, I would think. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. It's like, I think there is definitely a, a money incentive above all else. But even I think there is also a more and more these companies do have to kind of face reality, whether it's with stuff like that or with race or, or anything, that there's more accountability happening now than there was before. And some people see that as a bad thing. I tend to see it as a good thing, but... No, I agree with you. Yeah, I love seeing it. And I love seeing, because um, forever, you know, like the diversity thing was just like, well, we'll it's still a white role, but we'll 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 change one of them to be a minority, you know. And what I like seeing more is a shift and like, let's find these unique stories from different people of color and different backgrounds, and let's just present their story. I get so sick of every black story either being, again, me changing a white character or this like redemption tale of like, well, you just got out of jail and you got your GED. And it's like, <laughs> you know, there are strong, successful, wonderful black people. And why is it, why are there still not that many shows about that since the Cosby show? You know, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. I think there, I think there will be more and more hopefully. And um, I think assuming we can make stuff again, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, on a slightly lighter note, I did want to ask you about uh, this new show that you have coming out, Nice One, on Quibi, which uh, comes out 
next week from when this will air. It feels a little reminiscent of At Midnight, which I know you did a lot. How do you feel like it's different from that show? Or was that was that an inspiration for you to kind of go and do something similar to that? Or Oh, it was a huge inspiration. I told Chris directly. I was like, hey, we're going to steal your show. <laughs> and he was like, hey, I didn't make that format. That's a format that already exists. So it basically is a lot like At Midnight, just filtered through my point of view, which is why most of because I feel... Um, I loved At Midnight, and I, and I feel like it kind of went along with Twitter, right? You know, when Twitter was in its beginning and it was all about just fun jokes and silliness and memes, At Midnight was also about that. And then the more it became about politics and this and that, like At Midnight became about that as well, and it became a lot less fun for me because I don't like talking about those things. And so with Nice One, it was kind of my chance to go, let's get back to that beginning of like, we're just here to make silly jokes, but there might be some topical things, but then there's things like we talk about like the Challenger exploding. You know, we talk about... Yeah, you know, it gets dark too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not like this just happened yesterday and what's Trump been up to and this and that. It's more like silliness. And, and I get to showcase my friends and do the style of humor I've always been doing doing it and then force my friends to do it, you know, because my entire style is finding the positive out of negative. And it, it was fun to watch my friends try to write that way, too, and then them see how difficult kind of what I do is. I love the friend zone segment, which is kind of like the opposite of roast battle. It's a, just a, a compliment off. Welcome to the friend zone. You're going to come at each other with your hardest, strongest, fiercest, Compliments. Let's get it on, Fortune. Pete Lee. Ah, oh, this is so awkward. I had some really great Asian jokes prepared. <laughs> but then I got to know Pete, and they all still apply. That's probably about your penis. Fortune, you're brilliant, which is even more amazing considering that your North Carolina accent makes everything you say sound like, hey, you smell like my sister. <laughs> Pete's from Wisconsin, home of the Packers, which makes sense because Pete is definitely packing. What I'm trying to say is I think he has a big wiener. <laughs> that was a part of the original live show that, that Kyle Ayers was doing, with the boast rattle and stuff. And so that part was probably, you know, that was the easiest part for us to have because that was one of the original bits. But coming up with, like, the circle of friendship and all of that and just getting people to kind of stop trying to undermine it and, and still insult each other, you know? A lot of people were still trying to do that. But once they got into, like, oh, you know, what actually works better is if I truly find a funny way to compliment them and then the crowd reacts well, I react well. And it was, I mean, it's just really awesome to see. I, I'm really excited about the show and best part for me is that I found like another child you know like I, I love stand-up since I was 23 or even before then but I started when I was 23 and uh, I found acting like you know when I was 30 and been fell in love with that and then I got to host the show and work at this new muscle which instead of me trying to focus on me and being like hi I'm hilarious I'm the best I'm the best you should love me I got to then go like hey look at how great this person is and look at all the things they've been doing and and I love that with comedy because it's my favorite 
art form. Stand-up comedy is my favorite form of it, and I feel like we're the lowest on the totem pole. Oh, obviously, we're not even working now, but we're often called in to make other people look funny. It's one of my biggest issues with the roast, like that they would have these tremendous joke writers like Mike Lawrence and, and Sarah Schaefer and all these people writing jokes for other people, and then people are like, oh, did you know? Did, I did not know Snoop Dogg was so hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God, Martha Stewart's so funny. <laughs> yeah. We should give them their own show. And yeah. it's like, no. no, you should give Mike his own show. You should give these people their own show. And so a big part of this for me is that I get to go like, oh, man, this is dope. Look who's here. Ricky Lindholm. You know her from this. You know her from that. She's in Knives Out. I love making a bigger deal out of comedians. It's one of the biggest lessons I learned from people like Kevin Hart. There's a reason why he calls himself a comedic rock star, to make itself bigger than stand-up comedy. And I'm trying to do that in any form. It's why I do the T-shirts. It's why I do all the things I do. I would have loved one day to have my own shoes, my own action figure, because I feel comedy, stand-up comedy, is one of the last pure art forms where you can just say exactly what you feel without someone going over to you and go, oh, actually, you know, they're a sponsor, so we can't say that, you know? It's pure, it's fun, it's beautiful, and I want more and more people to fall in love with it. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, right, like you're saying, nobody's really working right now, and I mean, you're finding ways to do this show on YouTube, and people are doing different things and drive-ins and things, but it is tough to think about you're at a pretty solid point in your career right now, but if you're someone coming up right now, it's like, how do you break through in a place in a situation with no clubs no nothing you know it's it's tough yeah it's truly tough i think about it all the time and how blessed i am and how not that i ever saw this coming but like there was a true hecticness to my work ethic of like i need to get off of being on the fringe mm -hmm. i can't be on the fringe <laughs> anymore because i i know that life and i feel i think about that all the time i think of you know my, my features and my openers who are struggling and don't have any gigs on the back because I don't have any shows to put them on, you know? I think about that all the time because I used to be on food stamps. I used to be on public housing. And to those are the people who get hurt the most the quickest, you know? And, uh, you know, I just, I don't, I don't think there was a question in that, but it's just something I, I think about often. I feel blessed about where I am. And then in turn, I'm trying, you know, one of the reasons I'm doing this show is to try to put a little extra money in, in you know, Gabe and Blair Saki's pocket. So. Do you have other projects that are either on hold or moving forward or, or what's the sort of status of other things going on? Because I know so much has been on hold, but maybe things are starting to start again. Yeah, a lot of things are starting back up, which is like crazy because now I have like this two week period where it looks like I'm a big star <laughs> <laughs> and, and like some like even family was like asked me to borrow money and I was like no 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 yeah. I did all that stuff <laughs> no, hold last year like that's that all that money is gone uh, so <laughs> you know I'm in, um, in a Disney plus movie the one and only Ivan that'll be out August 21st which was real cool I got to um be on a Zoom call with Helen Murin and Brian Cranston and all those people and be like, wow, my life is crazy. And, you know, <laughs> the Hoops show comes out on Netflix. I'm in a um, cartoon with, with Bobby Moynihan called Lofi that I truly love. Like, it's a real big stoner cartoon that kind of hits me in my heart. Like, of all the things, I'm in that big Disney movie. I have this show, I have that show. But, like, man, Lofi, like, talking with my wife, she's just like, she's like, this is like, she's like, this is, might be my favorite thing I've seen of you. <laughs> 
wow. <laughs> I gotta check that out. Do you have any sense yet of because it does seem like theaters playing theaters is gonna be one of the last things to come back. Do you have any sense yet of when you might be able to do that? Or are you are you hopeful no. about it or I'm hopeful, but I try to stay real realistic, you know, with my level. I'm kind of like, you know, I'm in, I'm in a good level for where I'm at, where especially I have all the voiceovers I can do. The animation other, stuff is really key right now. It's truly saving my life. It's one of the best decisions I ever made. And it's things I tell young comedians all the time who a lot of them, I think, I'm pretty sure they changed their minds now. But before this, they were like, oh, you know, I just want to be the best stand up in the world. I'm yeah. going to be the best it's in only the gonna world. Do stand up yeah i don't want nothing to take away my focus and i'm like that's bad business <laughs> diversify diversify and because i diversified it, it's truly like trolls is saving my fucking life and i appreciate them for that and and i tell that to any other young comedians push your talents in whatever directions you you think they can go don't just stay in one area because you think that's what's cool like you know do voiceovers, do acting, do hosting, do whatever you can because that's what I grew up loving. You know, I know it makes me sound old, but as a child, I was really interested in vaudeville and all that type of stuff. And, and if you only did one thing, you weren't on the show. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. So I think the last time you were on, we were ending the show with a different question. So I want to ask you the question I've been asking uh, people over the last few months is, uh, who is a another comedian who has made you laugh the hardest in your life? It could be someone who you work with or someone that you, you know, have seen perform or who who is just another comedian who really, really makes you laugh? Oh, three names came to, to mind immediately. So I will just say them as they came to me. Paul F. Tompkins is to me one of the, just the smartest, best minds working in comedy. And he has there's some people who stand up in comedy, intimidate you and they make you feel less funny. And then there's, to me, an even bigger talent level where you feel funnier just being around them. Totally, yeah. And with Paul, I never feel funnier than when I'm around him. <laughs> like, he just makes me feel at ease. It makes me feel light. And it makes me laugh with, with just a drop at the drop of a hat. So Paul would be one. Tig Notaro, I remember seeing her in Bumbershoot and her being, and it being so rowdy. And it was still at the beginning of my career. And I was still trying to sometimes yell at people to get their attention. And, and she just came out and she refused to speak higher than a whisper. <laughs> and she just scooted a little stool around on stage and i learned that day i was like oh there is a tremendous power to still being silent and being still when you don't think that it'll work and I, I learned so much from her that day and then the last one would be my feature on this show on the fifth blair Saki. i think she is one of the top young rising comedians today she is truly uniquely herself and one of my favorite things is when i would bring her on the road and watch people because she has this unique voice and this unique style and people would kind of be off put at like the first minute but then by minute four minute five i would literally watch these people fall in love with her and and then going after, like, especially women, they would just come at, they would be like trying to give her their phone. She would just go home with a lot of women's phone numbers. <laughs> Good for her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Well, I can't wait to watch the the live stream special, man. I'm excited for it, and congrats. And uh, yeah, hope uh, hope things get back to normal uh, sooner than later, and you can get back up on stage. Yeah, me too. But either way, you just embrace chaos, learn to be comfortable in the uncomfortable, and it's always, man, it's good to see you. I'm so glad that the podcast is doing great, and that you're getting these big and important interviews, and Thank you, you man. and you ask important and big questions. I appreciate that. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much, and uh, have a good one. You too. Have a great weekend, man. All right. Peace. Oh, man. I always love talking to Ron Funches, and I am so grateful to him for being such a big fan and supporter of this show. You can buy tickets to his live stream stand-up special, Awakening, right now by going to ronfunches.com or clicking the link in the description for this episode. It's happening on Saturday, September 5th at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, and you are not going to want to miss it. Also, Ron's new game show, Nice One, premieres on Quibi this coming Monday, August 24th. So definitely check that out as well. Meanwhile, please help us out by giving this podcast a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.